0: Welcome back to the Hair Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Mel, and this is episode number 39. As per usual, my guest and I have already been talking, and midway through the conversation, we're like, ooh, we should hit record on this. So we're probably going to dive straight into the juice. But while I quickly introduce her, I have psychologist Gasol Gasolte. Gescholt, psychotherapist, artist, and creative mentor Natalia, with me. How are you, Natalia? I'm so happy, Mel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank (laughs) you for having me on. You are so welcome. Why are you happy? What's making you happy today? (sighs) I
1: freaking love talking about creative process, like obsessively at the moment. Um, Ever since Creative Spark was born, I have found my voice with it. And I just think it's awesome.
0: Excellent. Which is kind of how we ended up here. So last weekend, I'm sure if you follow me or Natalia on my socials, um, some of the girls that I run, uh, that I'm hosting a retreat with next year, Alex and Jess, we used one of Natalia's paintings as a backdrop in a photo shoot. And now Alex, Jess and I have some pretty good connection and energy anyway, but the minute we bought this artwork out, we just were like little children playing around. There was so much joy in it. Anyway, later that day, we were sitting at Alex's house and um, I've added Natalia on Instagram, basically just to say thank you for, you know, creating so much joy. And I was going through her Instagram and I was like, oh my God, Alex that piece of art that I'm obsessed with in your lounge room, that's one of Natalia's pieces. And she's like, yeah, it's one of Natalia's originals. So then Natalia and I get into this conversation and I fangirl a little bit in her DMs. Later that day I was, no, it was the next day I reckon, I was in one of my favourite supermarkets in WA and Natalia and I walk past each other and sort of give each other this like weird knowing look and then both spin around And we're like, Natalia, Mel, (laughs) in the cheese aisle, mind you. So as if our values couldn't align anymore. (laughs) Um, Exactly. And I finally got to um, put a face to a name or put a personality to a face. Um, And when I started talking about a little bit what I did and how I started, I was like, you know, I lost my spark. And Natalia's like, (gasps) oh. my course is called Creative Spark. So, you know, there were all these little idiosyncrasies as to this conversation occurring. So the first thing that I would love to hear a little bit more about is how you connected or how you made the link between psychology and art. And maybe I haven't even worded that question question properly but give us a little bit of backstory about that connection for you. I think the question is perfect and I just think there's probably
1: hours of answers. <laughs> <to that laughs> listeners this it's could be brilliant. a three hour podcast. For me there's probably two it's like a choose your own adventure book like there's two two paths we can go and I'll and I'll just name and acknowledge what they are. One is a phrase that I th- I, th- I think Janine Roth coined at first, but I'm sure somebody else has said it before. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So
0: most confronting saying, I think sometimes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I first heard that in relation to how people like eating disorder work, you know, binge eating, emotional eating, that sort of stuff. So Janine Roth is about intuitive eating and she encourages you to explore how you eat and essentially how you live your life and how you create, how you turn up to your craft is also probably how how you live. The, the gremlins that turn up on the canvas are the same gremlins that turn up in your life. So that's one pathway. <laughs> and the second thing is I was doing my gestalt psychotherapy training, which is a four-year course, and it's essentially a intensive in personal therapy. We we sit around in a circle, doing real therapy, no role play, and we analyze and share about our process. The Gestalt principle is around that we have within us an organic impulse, and that every human being is a self organizing human being if that organic impulse is given permission to complete itself. So what that means and the most simple example I can give is um, say you're hungry, right? Um, And then you realise that you're hungry. If you're in a healthy relationship with food in your body, you will go and get the food that you want to eat and you will eat enough until you're satiated. And then you'll forget about it and move on with your life until you're hungry again. So there's this cycle of emergence, mobilising into action and then withdrawing and going back to what I call the fertile void, the place where um, everything is possible but n- nothing is occurring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My face right now, I'm like, oh, so if I, I'm like writing notes at the same time. Keep going. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so what happens to us as humans is from birth we start adopting really unhelpful beliefs. We adopt unhelpful value systems and ways of being and thinking from family, from culture, from teachers, from friends, and those belief systems are how we interrupt our impulse from completing, right? So if you think about... Um, I'll just stick with the food thing. It seems to be um, working. Um, I can't be hungry. I just ate three hours ago. Or um, what will people think if I eat again? If I take another plateful of food at the party, even though I might still be hungry. Um, or I can't eat what I actually want to eat because I should. I should be eating something else, right? So we interrupt ourselves along that whole cycle. And then we give ourselves a hard time after we've eaten. Shouldn't have eaten that. Should have eaten less. Should have eaten differently. Oh. <laughs> and the, and the cycle just continues. And we do the same thing in art. The
0: same thing in creativity. The we shouldn't be creating. That we shouldn't be, or that uh-huh. we should use a different modality, or all of it, all yeah. of
1: it. So each individual person will have a whole bunch of different um, unhelpful beliefs about their creativity like the the biggest one is I'm not creative I don't know how to be creative I don't know how to paint I can only draw stick people I'm like well yeah I mean so did cave people and you know we love their stick figures
0: yeah (laughs) so I my first ever uh uni I went to uni my first year at uni was landscape architecture and you know the first year of any design course is all it's, des- it's drawing and design 101. They're not looking at building structure or landscape structure. They're looking at your creative process. And I, I, I genuinely didn't finish that. Like I didn't even finish the first year. Cause I was like, I was not born with a design bone in my body. I cannot be here. I had the best year of my life trying Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on a scholastic scale. I wasn't getting the marks. So I was like, oh, I don't have the design bone. Yeah.
1: I think, um, a lot of that natural inherent creativity is there in kids. We can see them playing and, like, their imaginations are on fire and they're seeing things where things don't exist and, you know, like they're beautifully in touch with their creativity and then it kind of gets chipped away with every year that we get older until, like, the percentage of people that identify as creative is, I think it's, like, really small, like 10% or something. I can't remember the stat. Um and i and i think you know we have a lot of recovery work to do like if we are lucky enough that our creative spark is still a little bit alive then we get a journey back we've got little breadcrumbs to follow
0: so were you always an artist I and was this- always creative so you were always creative, and then so when you first started out, like if we're going to go back to this original question of the link between psych and art for you. Yep. Did you first, you know, you were always creative, and then went and studied psych because that was the career path you thought you should take? Blah 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 blah. And then the two came back to meet, or how? Like, what was the what was the timeline in those things?
1: It's it's been a pendulum. It's been a you know swing out. So. I think the first thing I need to say is that I really love my my work as a therapist, you know, like it's the biggest honour to be able to walk beside someone in their most intimate moments in life, like that's amazing. <laughs> um, so I'm so glad that I took that path because I actually ended up back here. But I was always creative and it was that classic kind of, well, you can't do art because there's no money in that there's no security in that what are you going to do just be a starving artist so but I ended up in therapy and you know I've been doing that for forever you we know don't when I was alone we don't need yeah. to reveal our age I was 15 when I went to Greylands you know a psychiatric hospital here in Perth for my um vocational education in year 10. Oh so it was started like early started yeah. early And then I, you know, studying psych took up a lot of time, started my career. I did, the art probably took a backseat in my 20s. I was in the special art school through high school. So I was already doing my creativity there. In my 20s, it kind of evaporated. And then I think it was probably the end of my 20s into my early 30s that I started um, reconnecting with it. And you know, ended up in some small little community exhibitions and just you know, just started committing to it more and more. Um, I said to a friend, gee, I'd really love to have a studio. Maybe in 10 years' time I'll have a studio. She's like, Why are you gonna wait 10 years? <laughs> Next you know, week somebody rang me and said, Hey, I've got a studio space. I was like, Well.
0: Well, they think- say time flies when you know what you're yeah. doing. So, you know, there's <laughs> 10 years in a eye, yeah.
1: Literally. Um and so I, I just increasingly want to commit more and more to it because I feel like that is what my soul was always wanting, to be expressive.
0: In a podcast I was listening to this morning, um, one of the quotes was, I don't believe in self-belief, I believe in evidence. And so, again, like, you know, if we use your example, both of those things were very evident from... An early age for you to be able to bring them into fruition in later life. So mm-hmm. then, what was the what was the pinnacle or what was the deciding moment that then you would bring your art into your therapy for your clients? And how does that evolve? How has that evolved for you?
1: Um, I there's there's probably more therapy moving into my art world than there is art moving into my therapy world. I will occasionally (laughs) pull out the art materials with my clients, um, particularly when we're faced with um, like an emotion or a situation that we can't find the words for. Pulling out um, watercolours or pencils or whatever and just inviting a person to intuitively make marks about what this feeling is can be, what's the word, revelatory? It's, it's always powerful and there's yeah. always something
0: yeah
1: it always um is successful in that way for deepening the conversation
0: how do you feel how does it how do you see it it almost removes your armor right you know when we if we're trying to say something
1: well it we... removes the it removes the conscious ego mind
0: mm-hmm.
1: so when you invite someone to do something abstract like, draw a feeling, you know, that they don't even have words for or a name for, it's like, how the hell do I do that? (laughs) And so the front, the front mind is sort of switched off and it has to go more into that instinct. And, you know, I don't even know how it actually works, but it's that kind of subconscious body-based knowing that sort of turns up on the page.
0: I mean, obviously keeping client confidentiality in mind, when you when you ask someone to draw a feeling does it come up, up does it come up in abstract ways or are there objects that often come up and um, depends yeah. words sometimes, those sort of things
1: sometimes people uh will um just draw blobs or swirls or or something or they'll draw a figure like a I call them gingerbread men <laughs> like a real simple figure yeah with some kind of indications on it about what they're feeling and it's just enough to externalize it and then look at your own marks and go oh this looks like this feeling or suddenly I've had this memory or somehow words appear it's quite
0: it's quite magical that would be really interesting so then Off the back of that, how would you describe your creative process? You know, again, if you haven't had the opportunity to have a quick stalk through Natalia's stuff or even her website, you have your beautiful abstract pieces. You have this beautiful sacred series. You have beautiful t-shirt range and all (laughs) of them, there's definitely a flow through the theme, but they're such different pieces. Where do you draw your creative process from?
1: Oh man, (laughs) that is like (laughs) the question, isn't it? Um, My creative process, just like my work as a therapist, is about the process. And what that means is I try my hardest to commit to what my creative spark wants. So rather than identifying as a particular kind of artist, I've had to really work through knowing that I don't have one signature style, even though, like you said, there is an obvious theme which has finally arrived. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been at it long enough now that I call it, you know, your sort of your soul print is sort of evident through all my stuff, even though it's really different. But the way I get there is just by listening to what my interest is, like what lights me up, what am I obsessed about in any moment. And a lot of it is intuitive and trusting in like what feels good.
0: So if we kind of tie those two things back together, then if we go, you know, listening to what intuitively feels good, um, when also a lot of what we, you know, when we talk about, if we go back to that fertile void, which I'm just obsessed with that phrase, (laughs) um, like I think intuition, it takes a lot to be able to trust and even hear our intuition. Like that's not something, like you said, it took you a while to get to this creative process. When you talk to you, the people that you're working with or people in your community about the creative spark, and I mean their creative spark, not your course, okay. um, how do you encourage that intuition to come out or the, to tr- for them to trust what is their intuition to come through
1: yeah it's a good question um
0: I, I think that is all the work really that
1: needs to be done is like setting up an activity that encourages people to tune into their bodies so because all, everything lives in our body right like our I do know this, yes yeah you know this um you know i think sometimes we forget that being human occurs on the stage of this biological being um, so tuning into the body as a way of guiding your creative process is one of the things i teach and i've got a handful mm-hmm. not a handful but i've got a couple of activities one is called breathe and, and release so it's about closing your eyes and tuning in. And as you inhale, you load your brush. And as you exhale, you just make some marks, guided by what feels good from the body.
0: Can we create an event around this? That sounds like good.
1: <laughs> <amazing>. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful. And you know, it's a it's a really lovely way of regulating the nervous system because you're using the breath. Um, we know creativity helps regulate the nervous system as well. So a beautiful exercise and there's no um it's not about the outcome it's about the process
0: right so ironically the, way- the theme that we have inside her yeah. advantage at the moment is destination versus the journey so very timely Natalia thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you universe um yeah and so uh, something we've been
1: talking about in the creative spark lately is a- about art being an artifact of your relationship with your internal world and your ability to let that guide your creation which I think is a really lovely idea
0: so another um quote that they pulled off the podcast this morning was it's less about the art and more about the frame yeah and I think that's what you're setting up that it's um it's the again, the journey that takes you th- to that end piece of art. It's not um, it's not necessarily the way you look at it. It's that process that you took in which you get there. And yeah. again, you know, if you want to think about it on a really logical level, again, you know that if you were to just hang a canvas on a wall, like blue tack or pin a canvas to a wall, it would look great. But if again, you took the time to put it in a frame, to put it in a well lighted, well-lit room, you know, all of those smaller details really bring out the final product, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were talking on about, about, about through the time <laughs> <But> they, <laughs> they talk about it in terms of they were talking about it in terms of marketing, but again, mm-hmm. we can talk about it in the terms of like a thought that we have or um like a place where we are, a, a metaphorical place in which we are.
1: Hmm.
0: well it reminds me of how we started this
1: conversation before you hit record about (laughs) trusting you know we were talking about trusting that the conversation will flow and I shared an example of not knowing how to go with the session and suddenly we just hit flow because we went with where we were rather than trying to force therapy or force a conversation we just Mm -hmm. literally go with where we are you know and that's another principle of gestalt um the paradoxical theory of change that if you accept where you are which doesn't mean give up it's just I am where I am then the next step will naturally emerge
0: have you seen the series alone on SBS yeah so you know how they're given like 10 tools, right? They're dropped in the wilderness and they're given 10 tools. Like it's a bit like mm-hmm. that. This is literally the only tools that you have. You have yep. to survive yep. using the tools that you've got. Like I think that's a really good analogy of like where you just, it does, you don't have to give up if anything. That's how you start is realizing the 10 tools that you have.
1: Yep. And see what happens. Yeah. So it, it, it's also, <clears throat> it's kind of like uh, dancing. I call it dancing with the mystery. And turning up. So it's kind of like turning up with your tools, but then we don't have control over everything, but we still have to take steps into the unknown, right? Correct. And see what happens. (laughs) So we're dancing with the mystery. We're co creating with the universe as artists, as two people having a conversation, as a therapist and a client. There's always this space of emerging just in front of us if we're fully present to this moment.
0: I love talking about this and I love like I definitely when I'm in a good place they are definitely principles that I live by but it's it's a really hard thing to remind yourself of or pull yourself into that mindset when you're not in a healthy space let's just say what are some of the tools or what are some of the things that you see come up for the people in your world to be able, how do I want to word this? <laughs> to be able to, like when these blocks and resistances come up and when they're in, when they're in their head, when we're in our story, when life is really heavy, how can we come back into the creative process and the now?
1: That's a really good question. That's another big one. Mm. Didn't look, I think Alex we'll- warn you
0: about this. I'm all about okay. the big questions. Alex didn't warn you about my big questions. Sorry. <laughs>
1: no, but they're the best kind. What else are we
0: going to talk about? My client, uh, my client this week, she was like, I knew you were going to ask me this. Like, sorry.
1: <laughs> I think, look, I'm, I'm just going to hold on to that thread because I have such a squirrel brain. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think part of it is about just acknowledging it. Like, mm-hmm. acknowledging, like, oh, man. I am deep in whatever unhealthy state I'm in right now. And actually, it's it's part of the process, right? And <clears throat> I think each person has their own um, way to come back to themselves. One of the easiest things is finding a good friend and being honest about how you're actually feeling. I still see so many people who who say, I don't want to be a burden to my friends or my family. I'm like, oh, my God, please. It is the greatest honour that you could do is to share how you're really feeling with somebody that loves you and just wants to know how you are. And then the beach.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Again, this morning I went to the beach for a walk and my husband's like, really? It's so far away. And I was like, no, I breathe better at the beach. (laughs) The question about it's the biggest honour, again, it would it's something that we would say to our friends. And when they share with us, you you know that you have a good circle. If when, when a person shares something with you, that's how you feel. You feel a real honour that they can vulnerably and openly share. So there is no reason or no evidence that you couldn't be able to share that back. Yeah. Um. And it might, yeah. Go on. Well, it might not be the, like, you. I think again, when we're going through a really transient time in our life, it is really hard to share with people because you're in that interim of not being connected to the network that you're already in and still finding your new network. Mm-hmm. But there would still be people in your life. You can be that person in your own life that goes, Hey, what do I need to listen to, to be, to feel safe and heard right now?
1: Yeah, exactly. Leftovers. It's it's like oh, we're so communal. You know, we're such communal beings and you know, there's there's I think there's been some damage done by the self-help industry, even in psychology and therapy, you know, it's such a western model and I think learning to be with each other is actually going to be a massive way forward for for us and You know, this is what I wanted to say. When somebody shares something with you, you know, that they're hurting or they're upset about something, we feel like, oh, I'm so glad that I'm the person that she shared that with. Like I feel honoured to receive that. So when we think we're going to be a burden, we're sort of like robbing somebody of the gift of being honoured by our sharing.
0: And I feel that with also asking for help. Yeah. um, it's oh. And it's something that my women learn to practice is that um, the act of asking for help when they think they need it and feeling like, again, they're going to be a burden on someone. Mm-hmm. People want that opportunity. Give them the opportunity to totally. shine in your in your life and help you out.
1: And most people who love you know that you're kind of struggling and they
0: don't know how to help because you've probably put on this big persona that you're this big yeah. strong independent woman and you can do it all on your own so they know that they just want to get out of your way kind of thing
1: yeah and we kind of you're right we kind of push them back a little bit
0: hmm. um, but yeah Pe- people want
1: to know how to love us they want, they have like love to give and they want to know where they can put it and we can help people with that
0: do you ever come up with come up with a, like, do people come to you with feeling like they don't have love to give or like it's the love they give is not being received or not, you know, yeah. Uh, there's a cool. question in this. There's, there's a, really a good, thousand
1: questions in there. So, <laughs>
0: like, I think you've just hit a really good nail on the head here. When they feel like they're getting it wrong when people feel like they're giving love wrong, you mean? Yeah. Or it's not, you know, like, you know, if we talk about relationships, for example, you know, I'm meeting all the wrong men or I'm meeting all the wrong women or mm-hmm. um, there's no one out there. There's no one there for me. Um, or we even see it in the workplace, you know, I can't, I don't connect with anyone. Like how, mm-hmm. you know, you say that there's love to give and I absolutely agree with you and I feel that is true. But how, you know, there's... I know that I've definitely gone through places where I felt like I can't connect and there's no love, there's just no love to um, even give, let alone receive.
1: The thing that, and obviously, you know, that that's a conversation for each individual. Each mm-hmm. person would probably have a different answer for that. But the word that stuck out is disconnect. Mm -hmm. And if we're ever disconnected from other people, to me, that is just like a flag that we are disconnected from ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's somewhere we have abandoned ourselves. We're not listening to ourselves. We're criticising ourselves. So I would say that that's an inside job. And how can I connect? Ain't it
0: always. (laughs) Ain't it always.
1: That onion has, like, eternal layers. (laughs) keeps on giving but it is yeah it's it's like okay well what is it that I'm not getting or being able to give and where can I do that for myself
0: which leads into because I was like (laughs) I really want to draw this back to art and this leads back to so one of the practices and I explained this to you when we were midst amongst our cheese friends amongst the and bear bear. (laughs) (laughs) um that, you know, part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation is because creativity is one of the big values that I teach my women to lean into. And while I have, I t- you know, I help artists, I've got a photographer on board, I've got a chef with me, like there's all these women doing different creative uh, processes. It's really important to lean into that creativity and find what that means. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about feeling disconnected from ourself, how can we use the creative process to can to reconnect with ourselves?
1: Well, mm. the doozies.
0: How do um, how do you find the cre- how do you use the creative process to reconnect?
1: One of the things I teach in Creative Spark is. Learning to trust in what you love, <laughs> and that sounds simple, but most of us have so much judgment around what we like, who we are, and it's as simple as like giving yourself permission to enjoy what you enjoy, and that might be in the creative process. That might be like sometimes, you know, we're, we're currently in the middle of a five-week daily practice commitment on on the course, and it's really interesting to see how different everybody's days can be. And it's about pursuing just like, what do I need today? Because sometimes I just need to do lines straight across the page with charcoal. And other days I feel like having a colorful explosion, you know? Um, So reconnecting can be as simple as turning up to your craft, I I just oh man I'm such a therapist you know I'm like I can't can't give you a blanket statement
0: I know Uh, it's oh yeah I'm the same though when people ask me about you know what's the best thing for you know not hitting my three o'clock slump in the afternoon. I'm like, right, well, you need to tell Like, It's so individual. What's happening here? Like it's not, there isn't a blanket statement. And I think that's something else that we need to lean into as human beings. We're so used to being fed a straight answer and having it be the same for everyone, having a set standard and relying Mm. on that external set standard rather than having a barometer inside us to go, hey, how am I feeling? How am I showing up? what is the standard I want for myself. And that's sometimes also where the disconnect happened is that such distrust in Absolutely. that in understanding that measure for ourselves.
1: Mm, I completely agree with you. And one way, if we're really disconnected from that and we we're still building that self-trust, which I love self-trust is such a beautiful phrase, um, is remembering when I last felt Connected. Like what were the conditions in my life? Who were the people I was with? What was my daily practice like? How old was I? Maybe I was a kid and up a tree. Like what was what was I doing? Where was I? And who was I with when I felt connected, safe, and joyful? And it and it might be a micro moment. You know, some people have had really hard lives. But there are little breadcrumbs sprinkled through everybody's life. And I guess we just need to look back sort of to reconnect with them.
0: I think it's a, an important thing to touch on. You're right. Some, you know, even if it is just a micro moment, but give yourself the space to actually think about it and get curious about it. You know, I think there's a lot of resistance when we first get asked big questions like that in the coaching space, in the therapy space, in any sort of um honest conversation space even with amongst friends and uh, network But as soon as we don't know the answer to something it's a big oh I don't know so it mustn't be there and we kind of put the wall up shut down but you know if you hear a question like Natalia just asked kind of going right if there was to be an answer there what would it be and allow yourself awkward silence to think to come up with an answer, to get curious with an answer, to or to maybe reword the question so it sits with you better.
1: Mm-hmm. Spot on. <laughs> we don't
0: have to have the we don't have to have the perfect answer to something straight away, and right. the perfect answer also isn't probably what you think it's going to be. So just really allowing yourself the space to think and allow something to come up. I think that's mm-hmm. a really potent point. Percolating. Yeah. I think
1: something that I had to learn um, in my sort of creative healing was that actually being in that emerging phase where you've got a hunch about something but you don't exactly know what it is, like that's actually okay. And actually there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need to know the answer straight away but just keep asking the question and keep your hands open. I think that's what you're sort of saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got a hunch about something. Mm-hmm. But then that, that then draws back to the intuition, like where when we start to feel these hunches or these intuitions, we're like it's such an uncomfortable feeling almost that it could be true or it could be leading us somewhere off the beaten track when mm-hmm. we've been so indoctrinated to think that our path is down this way.
1: Yeah. And our window of what's appropriate and acceptable can be smaller than what our soul wants, right? Like I, I, I was in India on this art tour and I, I, the memory of her is etched in my mind because she was so in touch with her joy and her intuition and what she wanted. You know, she was like a 65-plus woman and it was holly, right, you know, where they throw colour and it's just chaos. And we hadn't yet gone out into India, um, but there was, like, a puddle of water, a puddle, literally a puddle of water that was pink-stained because somebody had hollied in it. And she was so excited that she threw herself on the floor and rolled in the pink puddle. (laughs) Cool. And I was just like, that's crazy. And I love it. I love that she was so um, free-spirited that she followed her impulse (laughs) to throw herself into a puddle. puddle. Yeah. It was great.
0: We have, we call that radiance. So um, when, you know, when you look at, like, if you think of all the people in your life that you think are just that, like that moment, all the most beautiful people in your life, I can guarantee you they're different skin colors, different heights, different sizes, Mm -hmm. different, probably speak a different language. And so there's not we're looking for radiance and I think we're all wanting to achieve radiance. Like it's not a set shape or size that we're looking to achieve. We want that energetic feeling behind what our purpose stands for and what our intuition stands for. Yeah. I
1: love that word radiance.
0: (laughs) It's different.
1: Oh, it's so good. And it's, it's like radiance is for me, the it's like the glow that happens on a person whose internal world sort of matches their external world.
0: 100%. Do you know what else came what just came to mind then? Is that piece of Alex's? Madonna, I think it is. Like I Yeah, think
1: she-, she of learning to stay.
0: Yeah. She's
1: mm-hmm.
0: like that piece just, I mean, it's her pose, but that piece radiates. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She she is about learning to stay with the uncomfortable, learning how to exist in Discomfort and pain and the Shadowlands.
0: That's definitely a reason why I resonated with her then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one one was birthed
1: at the start of COVID. It just kind of came out and it's been really supportive to lots of people and she's had a bit of a resurgence since uh, the events of, you know.
0: Recent times.
1: What's happening in Israel and Gaza.
0: Was the whole sacred series a COVID-born? No, series? just that. So over the years, I'd I'd had these
1: down, downloaded, like not from the internet, downloaded from
0: the <laughs> source universe. Um,
1: yeah. sort of, and I was like, oh, there's a bit of a like collation happening here. It happened over a few years, um, and yeah, they've been really, they've been really. Um, kind of transformational. They just sit quietly in the back. I don't really promote them or anything, but they all kind of come back when they need to share something.
0: <laughs> How has it been for you as an artist, as a, physio, as a physiotherapist, as a um, psychologist, you can tell what profession I'm in, right, yeah. um, to allow your work to be seen and appreciate, not only seen and appreciated by others, but for others to want to showcase your work? Mm.
1: um i you know it's you get taught as a psychologist that you kind of have to keep yourself hidden and in in some ways you know i i can understand why that is you know it's i'm I'm there to be there with my clients and so i've had to do kind of like a lot of juggling over the last few years as I've wanted to turn up more on social media with my art and what I think about creativity and what's on my heart. Um, it's It's been a juggle to work out how to share whilst also holding my clients in my mind because they can find me, they can Google me, you know, and I hold that therapeutic space with so much um, respect that I do still consider my therapy self when I share my thoughts and feelings, you know. But, um, oh, and I'm also really comfortable with sharing my art. I don't know how it happened. Obviously there are moments where I do get a bit self-conscious. I'm not completely immune to judgment. (laughs) But as long as I'm kind of content with what I share, I don't mind whether you you people like it or not. I like it. It's fine <laughs> <laughs> because I know I know art is so personal, right? Like some people love some stuff that I make, and the same piece of art others are like meh. Yeah, so I know that it's you know it's like a taste flavor thing for people, um, and as long as I'm okay with it, then. And I'm, I'm on this whole bandwagon at the moment about sharing bad art, like liberating yourself from caring yeah, about judgment so that you can explore and be adventurous on the page and in your life. Yeah. <laughs> Where the quest is to make bad art, not because we want for there to be lots of bad art in the world, but it's more about who do you need to be in order to make bad art. You know, you need to take risks. You need to be adventurous, courageous, try stuff out that you've never done before, mix colours that you've never mixed together so you find something new and cool.
0: And that really does seep into everything else. Like it's not like obviously art is you're speaking to artists, but when we go to the gym for the first time, when we go to a language class for the first time, when we show up at a new partner's table for the, you know, family dinner for the first time, there are all these awkward processes and bad processes that need to come mm-hmm. to light to allow the good stuff to happen as well. Yeah, You have to get okay with that awkward, shitty part.
1: Yeah, yeah that's that like emerging thing that we were talking about, you know, yeah. and it's comfortable. but I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> what am I going to say? Well, yeah, you can't script it. See what happens. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> how do you then help, other people, like, you know, I think it's one thing for us to be inn- innately okay with, oh, well, if it's not for you, it's okay. But a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people struggle with showing their work and maybe not necessarily receiving bad feedback but receiving no feedback.
1: Yeah. I encourage people to um do what they have self-support for. You know, the goal is to push yourself and to reveal more of yourself, but I I don't like it when people throw themselves in too deep and then they don't know how to swim and they're often more likely to just abandon creativity altogether, you know. Start small. Like if just turning up for yourself is enough, (laughs) you know, and if you want to share that, share that somewhere where you feel safe sharing that. And if you feel like you want to stretch yourself, stretch yourself. But the most important thing is to actually just be there for yourself and paint for yourself or write for yourself. Um, there is a lot of value in sharing, and I think as we get more comfortable with um, practising our craft, there's there's almost, an, um, I, don't, I, I think it's common that we kind of want to share it. Like once we get comfortable with our expression, we want the whole world to see it. Not for fame. I mean, some people do, but it's more like, I don't know, it just wants to be celebrated. The thing wants to be seen. The music wants to be heard, you know, like the creation wants to be delighted in.
0: Maybe it's more so, and that's probably coming from an energetic point, like when you're really ready to share your art and share and that, you know, that can be um, in whatever medium that we're talking about. There's a real energy behind it that we believe, we genuinely believe that what we're sharing is going to help someone in whatever different, in whatever capacity that's going to be. Um, and so that we know that we've put it, it's like that old saying, you know, you put if you can help one person, great. You're not trying to help a million people. It's just one person. And it's kind of going off that, like you've got that energy to help or bring joy to someone's life. Um, then you're going to be less likely to care that there's no feedback, yeah. And, and part of it is trusting <clears throat> that that word again, sneaking. I, back in. Oh man,
1: yeah. when you trust that, um, a person who is sort of embodying their expression and just being themselves, being radiant, that that will have a ripple because it does. It's so contagious and we just never know how our art is going to impact the world. Like we have no idea. Like I had no idea that you were going to use my <laughs> painting, right? Like that was in an ex- in an exhibition earlier this year. It didn't sell. I was like I'm not going to stretch it but I might put in a photo shoot. You know, that was fun. And here we are, you know, this is the evolution of me making that colourful abstract
0: and here we are because of that. Here like a, we are. Zing. From the cheese aisle in peaches to a podcast. <laughs> art, the yes. possibilities of art are endless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: And it and on the micro level too, like this is still something that surprises me daily and I don't know why. I should know this by now is <laughs> I get this urge to write and journal. But I'm like, oh, what am I going to write about? But I've got the urge. (laughs) Ah. And then when I sit down and I start writing, I'm like, oh, look at that.
0: (laughs) I'm a writer now.
1: Something came out or these thoughts were bubbling and these feelings were bubbling that I wasn't aware of. You know, it's like trusting in that creative spark, that impulse, the intuition, because you just don't know why until you actually do it.
0: (laughs) And I think like that, and it's so evident in the women that I work with as well, you know, they come to me for hormonal issues. They come to me because they've got energy issues. There's all these different things. And then when you talk to them three months, six months, 12 years down the track, uh, one of my girls is getting married next week and, you know, we've definitely hit some, um, aesthetic goals that she wanted to hit, but she's like Mel my tolerance for things and my mental health is so far beyond what I could have ever imagined. And that was the thing she wanted to celebrate. And mm-hmm. so again, we start this journey, we start this creative process, whatever it is. And all of a sudden it's leading us to places that we just, or well, maybe there was a hunch there. I don't know, but we never thought possible and it opens up this whole new world. Yeah. Um, but I think that is really evident and also being open to possibility yeah yeah well
1: like open to having enough enough faith and trust in your intuition yeah like I don't know why or what's going to happen but I can feel it like nudging me and so I'm going to commit to it even though I don't understand it
0: I'm going to commit to it even though I don't understand it
1: because it's somatic right
0: sorry i have commitment issues can't do that <laughs> yeah. uh, um speaking of them like what yeah. are the, what are some of the biggest resistances and um that you do see i'm going to say women because it's the demographic that listen to this podcast so <clears> what are some of the biggest <throat> blocks that you see women come up that come that yeah come up with
1: um I actually wrote a list because I didn't want to forget them. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first, and so this is cycle-related again, you know, like if you think back to the cycle in Gestalt, the cycle of creativity, the cycles of nature, um, meaning the seasons, right, winter, spring, summer, autumn, winter, um, rest, rest and non-productivity. It's like we are allergic to it. We. I love just-
0: that. It's not rest. It's not productivity. Oh, my God, Natalia.
1: Yeah, there's two because rest is different to being not productive. Yeah. And we need both. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the fertile void. The fertile void is the winter. Mm -hmm. So when we look to nature, nothing, well, not that nothing's happening, but it looks like there's nothing happening. Right, but things are restoring, things are replenishing, things are um, coming together to begin the process of emerging. But we need the fertile void, we need to be in non action, non productivity to make space for something new to emerge. And we also need rest (laughs) because nature doesn't like flowers, don't keep blooming, they don't. bloom and then they stop blooming and then they send nutrients to other areas and we're the same we are no different to nature we are from nature we are of nature and we live by the same rules as nature and we get all jammed up when we think we can do better than that we can override this we can override this
0: in a technology state
1: yeah i just keep on going and you know the amount of people not just women people were like well I've like I can't just not do anything yeah you kind of can and you kind of need to learn how to do it
0: well it's in realizing like you just said that it's not that you're not doing anything
1: Mm. there's plenty
0: going on under the soil there's plenty going on in other limbs
1: it's compulsory it's compulsory rest is compulsory yeah and that's why we get sick we get you know, adrenal fatigue, we get creatively burnt out because we keep pushing when actually we might need to, um, like nourish and replenish ourselves, like doing something that's fun, but maybe not art related or going to a gallery or having an artist date and being playful with a friend, you know, something that's going to replenish us, um, is really important. Um, One of the other blocks is that pursuing joy isn't a good enough reason to do something. (laughs) This one is one that I've personally struggled with. Yep. And um, a a, a new friend has actually written a spectacular book about this. Her name's Holly Ringland. Some people might know this, uh, know her. Um, Her new book is the, The House That Joy Built. And it's all about creativity and how joy is a really damn good reason to be creative and actually. She's familiar. She's she's written a couple of books. Um, Oh, I keep forgetting their names. Maybe we can put it in the um, show notes after. Um, She's spectacular and I recommend anybody listen to her about creativity. Yeah. Yeah. and and then the last one was the need to make something good, like that it can't be bad. Like it has to be a good picture. It has to be a good poem. It has to be a great story. Um, can't do anything bad. The perfectionist kind of stuff.
0: Backwards. She's the um, Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Yes, yes. Oh, I loved that book.
1: She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and she's just released a new book and... I will be yeah, reading it. The House That Joy Built. Okay. Um. <clears throat> yeah, so they're okay. my three. Rest and non-productivity, pursuing joys in a good enough reason, and perfectionism.
0: Perfectionism is so entangled and it's a conversation that quite often comes up in my ladies, with my ladies, um, <laughs> because, one, who's defining perfectionism, right? Like, who... Who's standing there? I'll tell you what perfectionism is. Tell me.
1: There is never a good enough place. Mm -hmm. So that's like no matter who it is, no matter what they do, they never get there. That's Mm -hmm. what perfectionism is. So it's like this infinite possibility of achievement and accomplishment, but you never get to the end. It's infinite. So -hmm. that's what perfection is. You keep pushing yourself, striving, 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 striving. It'll never be enough.
0: It makes <laughs> me feel really and one, it makes me feel nauseous. Yeah. Um think of the missed creative opportunities that arise when you let that voice come in.
1: Or just like the joy of living. Mm. The loss of the joy of living. Mm. And we die so quickly.
0: It's over mm. and a half mm. What do people recognize those blocks? Like when I mean you just named them in front of me to bring them up in conversation and my brain's like got fireworks going on. <laughs> you know, when you talk about these things with um again, people in Creative Spark or the people that you're working with, do they recognize them as a resistance? Or a block point or is it something that they are hearing for the first time
1: um that's a really good distinction because some people are so um embedded in their belief system that they don't realize that it's an unhelpful belief system they think it's true so they think that what their brain is telling them is a deep truth when actually they're just believing an adopted set of beliefs that are completely unhelpful to giving them the life that they want for themselves. And some people can see that this is perfectionism or this is my not good enoughness turning up. Um, They have the capacity to um, enact acceptance commitment therapy. We call that diffusing from, you know, creating a bit more space between my thoughts and myself as a person. Um, so that's much easier for people to um, challenge those thoughts and beliefs when they've got a bit of space and they can see that this is my script or this is my unhelpful tape or these are my gremlins turning up again. But yeah, some people um, need a bit more support in identifying that that that's actually a script. It's not actually truth with a capital T,
0: and it's a practice as well. So even when you go. Like you said, when you're dif- differentiating, I can never say that word <laughs> between your script and who you are as a person, it sneaks in in the most unsuspecting places. And so for you to then be able to recognize and go, oh, I need to draw a line in the sand here. This isn't who I am or what I am. This is just a thought that I'm having. I put the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> There's a
1: nice little, like, sentence that you can say at the front. So, s- s- for example, if I'm, you know, I'm not good enough as an artist or I'm not a good artist, I could then go, I'm just having the thought that I'm not a good artist.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Because that's I'm having a thought about not being a good artist. It doesn't mean that I'm not a good artist.
0: And, again, bringing it into my line of work, like I am having a thought that... I'm a bad eater. I'm having a thought that I don't understand my rest signs, not I'm Mm -hmm. bad at rest or I'm bad at, you know, um, not eating. It's a, oh, I'm having a thought that this is the way it is. And it just creates like,
1: I mean, even as you say it, right, I'm sure you notice that there's a little bit of space. It disarms it. Yeah. It completely like disarms it. And it allows you to reflect on what you need to reflect on because criticism is like a cul-de-sac. Like once you start criticising yourself, there's no learning going to happen. It's just like a steep slope down to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you can just hold it with a bit more curiosity, you might learn something. Maybe you do struggle with rest, and but if I criticise myself about it, I'm not going to get anywhere helpful.
0: I often again like when we talk about adding in rest I'm like if you're going to sit on the couch and feel guilty about sitting on the couch you're that's not rest. Yeah, no. You're quite often going to sit on the couch for longer because you've got this perpetuating thought in your head that you've got a million things to keep doing and whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're just more tired by the time you stand up again whereas if you totally. genuinely sat down And you're like, I am actually going to sit down. I'm programming this into my day or whatever it is. I can guarantee you get up in half the amount of time feeling so much better about yourself and about life. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: And criticism and shame perpetuate unhelpful behaviors. Can you? you Yeah. I was just going to, you know, it ties in with the food thing. I've done a lot of work with women around, you know, body image and binge eating. So it's kind of Falls out of my mind. <laughs> but we know that for people who are trying to heal their relationship with food, if they give themselves a hard time for binge eating or eating the wrong food, I'm doing the little finger things, um, that is more likely to push them into another binge or into a spiral of depression. So what are the condiments? I talk about the condiments of creativity are uh, like curiosity and self-compassion, like salt and pepper. Yeah. Compassion and curiosity.
0: Which condiment do I need today? Does it need a bit of curiosity or does it need a bit of compassion?
1: <laughs> Most things need a little bit of S&P. I feel like
0: them. that's your next T-shirt. It's a little salt and pepper shaker with curiosity <laughs> and compassion on it or something like that. That's a nice idea. Yeah. yeah. I I'd like it. <laughs> um when like, shame and guilt is something that's getting thrown around a lot in the personal development space in the therapy space in the wellness space what to you what is shame and guilt to you
1: wow well, we're really we're, we're dancing the dance, aren't we um yeah. Put me on
0: the spot guilt very very simple we're now going off the notes I'm just yeah. saying- Throwing yeah. all these questions curveballs and Natalia.
1: Very basically, and, you know, I have to say it's always more complex than this, but guilt is uh, we feel guilty about something we've done mm-hmm. and shame is we feel like we are bad as a person inherently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I see with shame is often it's like this somatic experience that overcomes people and they don't even know that they're having a shame Sort of spiral they just their shoulders drop the head goes down and you can just see that they are feeling like they are the, the person that deserves least to be alive on this planet in that moment and it's it can be really hard for people and guilt is more about oh i feel guilty like i oh i shouldn't have said that or
0: mm-hmm.
1: can't believe i took the last bread roll at dinner
0: <laughs> they often <laughs> come hand in hand though i find
1: Yeah, so sometimes when we feel guilt, like guilt is kind of appropriate sometimes. Um,
0: You take the last bread roll at dinner, you know.
1: Yeah, how dare you. Um, But, I mean, some therapists would even argue that shame is sometimes functional, but I'm not going to, I won't get into that today.
0: (laughs) Episode two, coming at you.
1: (laughs) Um, Where was I going with that? Um, But guilt can sometimes be socially, um, like it's healthy and appropriate. It teaches us something about um, what we value and who we want to be and who maybe we haven't been and maybe it pushes us into um, repairing with someone or having a difficult conversation based on feelings of guilt. Sometimes it's not appropriate, like it's an internalised, unhelpful gremlin you know, like guilty for resting, Yeah, that's that's unhelpful. That's a program that we've had, you know. But I think
0: in. a question that you just brought up, you know, or a statement that you just brought up, sometimes it leads us to the person that we want to be. And so, again, if we can then internally get curious and reflect and go, you know, and if we use rest as an example and go, am I someone that wants to be seen as highly strung out or, you know, if I'm going to feel guilty about rest, is this who I want to be? Do I want to be well-rested? Do I want to be calm-minded? Do I want to be energised or do I want mm-hmm. to be strung out and overwhelmed? Yeah. Which version do I want to be? Oh, I want to be rested. Yeah. Like so a really question as a bit of a North star to guide you into that direction. Yeah. So, you know,
1: it sounds like what you're talking about is like an acceptance commitment therapy principle you know like we're guided by our values and our goals for our life and that's the north star or the lighthouse Mm -hmm. and then knowing what our values and goals are then we can learn how to tolerate things like guilt knowing that actually rest is what my goal and value is so now I need to learn how to make space for guilt so that I can practice being good at resting
0: Oh, yeah! It just sounds like we all need to do your course, Natalia.
1: <laughs> well, that's like therapy stuff, but um, but yes, it's all. I mean, I'm one person now. I used to try and split myself into artist and therapist, and now I'm just like
0: no a cool color banner blob of human. <laughs> what did you just say? A colorful blob of a human. Excellent. I had I have a <laughs> friend of mine who's an artist, and she's been doing like a little doodle a day and she Mm -hmm. drew a um a fortune cookie and the little note inside the fortune cookie said irresponsible color awesome doesn't it just speak to you I love it it's so (laughs) good so that's what just came to me when you're like a blob of color like yes yeah yeah Yeah. Oh yes
1: oh man yeah there's there's liberty in giving yourself permission to be all of your facets not having to separate yourself and i think more than ever in this time society actually supports that to some extent
0: the separation or the connection the connection mm-hmm. people
1: there are spaces i think where there's more tolerance for people to turn up with multi-passionate personalities
0: multi-passionate personalities <laughs> <Killing> that one <laughs> um I love that I write notes like that I'm not going to re- watch the recording back oh, like, yeah. I write this down now. <laughs> I'm the same I need to take notes too so Natalia we're going to wrap it up there mm-hmm. is there anything else that you would like to add
1: I would like to deeply thank you for such an awesome conversation. We crossed terrains. <laughs> and I think we've We're
0: adventure women. About.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you. Thank you for um, having me on. And, yeah, there's the Creative Spark course. It's called the Life Cycle of a Creative Spark because we know it's a cycle. Um, so I think you can find that on my website. Follow me on Instagram for all the bad art, good art.
0: <laughs> all the other things. Mostly just good art. Sorry. If definitely going there for the bad art. <laughs> well, thank you, Mel. Thank you so much for being here.
1: My pleasure.